0: 5, 1 to 11. And I know I'm not the first one to ever say this at all, but the reading of God's Word is the main event, and the preaching is just supplemental to that. So it's the reading of God's word. So let's read God's word. We'll pray and ask for his help. And then we'll walk through the passage. Luke 5, 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Oh, our great God, we desperately need your help today. For we can see with our eyes, but our hearts cannot understand and our minds cannot learn without your spirit intervening on our behalf. So give me words to proclaim you and your kingdom. Give ears to hear and receive what is from you out of your word. All in all of that, that we would humbly love you and trust you and follow you, and to that end, we pray with great expectation, because our Savior not only died but rose again. And this we pray, Amen. You can look into it. You, you maybe see it. Sorry, um, you thought I was going to have you stand the whole time. No. You can look into any bookstore, walk the aisles of Barnes & Noble, browse the sections of Amazon, or smell your way through an old bookstore, and you will always find a section devoted to biography. What is a biography? It's an account, a retelling of a life of someone for an intentional and specific purpose. The lives of mankind are really, truly fascinating some, honestly, more than others. How did Steve Jobs became, become the person he became? What were the hard falls and timely breaks for a Brian Chesky who, to make Airbnb what it is today? What were the life encounters and situations of a Martin Luther King Jr. that made him to have the compelling dream for the future that he had? Or the life of an Adoniram Judson or Hudson Taylor and the high mountains and deep seemingly fruitless valleys that they had to go through in their life biographies allow us to enter in and see the life of a person with greater clarity now good there's a difference between a biography and a fantastic biography because it's an honest and a transparent look about the trueness of the life and the compelling purpose for which they were alive A well-lived and written biography is a treasure because you see the journey, the discouragements, the bankruptcy of that person in and of themselves, and how God uses them for his purposes and plans. Well, today, in this passage, let us gaze into a life-altering encounter. The first chapter of a biography of sorts of a few famished and fearful fishermen. As they behold Jesus, the unfathomable one. And who he who turns their world right side up and frees them to follow him. Again, let us gaze into this life-altering encounter of a few famished and fearful fishermen as they behold Jesus. And he turns their world right side up and frees them to follow him. So who is this Jesus? Who is this one that proclaims and is proclaimed? What are his purpose, pursuits, and plans? Well, foundational to our understanding of this passage is knowing that the author Luke wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts as kind of a a sequel, but they go together for a very specific purpose. Who is Jesus? What is his mission and purpose? And what did he accomplish? Again, Luke answers this in a twofold treatise of Luke and Acts that are worth reading. Slowly, paragraph by paragraph and word by word, but together as well to see the beginning and the end and what occurs through the person and work of Christ. We have Luke's purpose statement in chapter one, and he says, I write to write an orderly account of all that has been delivered to you and proclaimed that you may have certainty that is to the original audience certainty as to what has been taught concerning the person and work of Jesus, Luke 1, 1 1-4. And like a scene from a riveting movie, but eternally more life-changing than any Oscar winner, the camera begins in a large panoramic shot, setting the scene and giving us the surrounding view of where and what is occurring, and then causing the mind to bend and the pulse to quicken as the camera will focus on an encounter that leaves the viewer spellbound and awestruck, left to consider the colossal implications of what just occurred. So scene one, the panoramic scene. Let's read verse one, one to three again, or I'll just go part by part. So verse one, on one occasion, While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So here you have a large crowd pressing in on Jesus for a specific purpose, to hear the word of God or to hear from God. Jesus was speaking leading up to this before this as one with authority that the people hadn't seen before. 432 highlights Jesus saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For I was sent for this purpose. So the the camera starts with this panoramic shot, a lake scene shot at the Lake of Gennesaret, which is also just the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is standing by the lake and there's all these people around standing with listening ears and hungry hearts ready to know more from Jesus. Now, as we lead up from one to four, we see like Jesus is... Twitter following and Instagram influence are skyrocketing. His People are talking about him endlessly because what, what has he done? Well, we've seen he's healed an ear-shrieking, demon-infested man in a synagogue and word spread like the most viral of videos. But then Simon's mother-in-law is, has a life-threatening disease and um, what does it say? A life-threatening fever. And he heals her with his authoritative word. And one by one, and then it says, and Jesus continued to heal and heal others. So Jesus' fame is growing and growing and growing. And the crowds began to follow him, to hear, watch, and listen, intently trying to determine who is the one who speaks and lives in such a way, with such authority. Now, back in the text, Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So imagine it. The camera slowly narrows from a panoramic view. It slowly narrows into the true purpose and intent of the interaction. Boats by the seashore, fishermen finishing up. What they had come to find out is a what we come to find out as a horrifically unsuccessful night of business. as fishing was their profession fruitless fishing was not their normal mode of operation but it was this night jesus interacts with them in some fashion asking for the use of their boat and get it uh, the end of uh, verse or the start of verse three getting into one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put a little out from the land so the camera's narrowing jesus puts out from the land likely because the acoustics uh, were helpful to preach to a large crowd and that the, um, his voice would carry over the water and the crowds, a large crowd could hear. So the narrative begins to focus on this interaction between Jesus and Peter asking for the use of the boat. And we're drawn into the scene, Jesus teaching the crowds, Peter in the boat with him, likely dejected. At least I would be if I was up all night unsuccessfully fishing, listening to him. He's probably tired, frustrated, probably thinking, what does this Sunday school teacher have to teach me? Uh, At least he's a really good one, but I'm tired. And he's probably concerned and consumed with what's going on in his mind. Of He didn't produce anything with business. He's got to put food on the table the following days and months. And he's wearisome and frustrated. End of verse 3, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus, in his customary way, sits down, teaches the people. Now, we don't know the exact content of what was taught right here, but that's not the main focus of the encounter. The scene is set for the miraculous, for what is about to occur. So all the preparatory parts are in place for a new scene into this specific interaction between Jesus, the authoritative one, and Simon Peter, who is weary, dejected, And ready to sleep away the problems from the night before. So scene two. The focus narrowing. Tension in relationship. And the miraculous fishing. Verse four to seven. Start of verse four. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now the message, the sermon, the encounter gets very personal. Personal. Like it often can be. Maybe Jesus' words were going out to the crowd, but now the specificity and penetrating words of Jesus go right into Peter for a very specific purpose. Maybe Jesus was teaching the crowds about his purposes and plans, but now turns to Peter for a direct interaction. Jesus' words entering real work life not just a Sunday school lesson or a Sunday sermon that we might be tempted to just leave on a Sunday afternoon. No, this time, real life, possibly even offensive, but at a minimum, illogically frustrating. A carpenter telling a fisherman to throw the nets back in. Now, think of this. You might, how would a lifetime engineer react if someone said, hey, I know you had an unsuccessful day, but let me show you how to use a ruler. Or to a computer programmer, hey, let me show you how to turn the computer on and begin writing some code in JavaScript. Or maybe to an experienced but sleepless mom trying to soothe her colically newborn and is approached by a newcomer to the scene in this humbling and exhausting arena of life and says, you know, just pick up the baby and pat the baby on the back. Illogically frustrating, no? So how does Simon, the professional fisherman, respond to this illogical command from a carpenter? How would you respond to that command after an exhausting, humiliating, fruitless day and effort of work? Well, how does Simon respond and Simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing now master this word master it is a humble recognition of who jesus is it's an explanation of the surrounding context in case jesus is unaware so he he humbly acknowledges jesus you are master but jesus i you are master, but I am going to give you some context so you really understand what you're telling me. Master, teacher, it's like, it's synonymous with superintendent, the one who calls the shots. So he is demonstrating humility here. But, like a teacher in a school district, wanting to give the superintendent a better understanding of the context of the classroom. He responds with, we toiled all night and took nothing. So he's clarifyingly exasperated, exhausted, and ready to sleep off the discouragement of having to tell his wife and family about the bad day at work. Yet, this is not the fullness of the response. He adds, in the midst of this discouragement and exasperation, we toiled all night and took nothing, but... But at your word, what? I will let down the nets. I will let down the nets. Jesus, at your word, I will do what appears to be at face value, a foolish and ridiculous thing. Jesus, at your word, at your authoritative word that healed the demoniac, that healed one of my family members of a deathly fever, I will trust and obey Jesus. How does that hymn go? I will trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If we only obey in those moments that things are going well, that really doesn't show where our faith lies. But it's in these moments where we see where does our faith lie. I will trust your word over the apparent hopelessness of the circumstance. And we have to interpret circumstances, illogical and hopeless as they may be, on the foundation of God's character and his word to respond in faith and trust. Peter didn't seek to reinterpret God's word. No, he humbly submitted to the command of Jesus as Jesus spoke it. What are the glasses by which we interpret life? What is that rule of authority? Is it like Peter, the word of God, Jesus himself saying, at your word? Genuine faith responds with, at your word, I will obey. Genuine faith lets down those nets. Faith, trust the word of God over the cloudiness of the present circumstances, whatever the Lord has you going through. Genuine faith, trust the word of God over the cloudiness of the present circumstances and in the midst of Jesus having you sit in an empty boat telling you to let down the nets. How does the William Cooper song sing? God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He fashions up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings. On your head. His grace and kind providence bring you to the point of failure, deep and dark, cavern-like discouragement, so that you will look up, see, taste, and know the unmistakable beauty of the gospel of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his person and work as redeemer and the Lord of all creation. That's is why he brings you to those pur- those circumstances. So verse 6. And when they at minimum Simon Peter, James and John and possibly others, and when they had done this, that is obeyed and let down the nets, trusted Jesus at his word, they enclosed a large number of fish. And in their net and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both both the boats, so that they began to sink. Another way of saying is just an overwhelming amount of fish. Jesus did in one wordless declaration of fishing the mats, but without saying anything. What these professional fishermen could not do in their own strength and ability. Some commentators have said that is a miraculous, that Jesus knew that the fish would be under the boat. But that doesn't even touch the surface of what Jesus did here. The fruitless night of fishing, that fruitless night of fishing is as much under the sovereignty of God as the multitude of fish he sends the following day. Jesus is the one who sovereignly ordained that that fruitless night of fishing and ordered his fish to go under the boats and for these soon to be disciples to see the vast power and control over the fish of the sea and more significantly over the hearts of mankind that we'll read in Luke and Acts and and following. Brother, sister, do you believe him to be the all powerful one that he is? Are you trusting and living the words at your words, Jesus? When you follow Jesus, the structure of your decision making changes completely to this at your word. Now, the story could stop here, and there would be a ton for us to learn. But that's not actually the climax of the story the most critical encounter is still yet to occur so we ask how does peter respond to this miracle this narrative has rightly narrowed in and focused in on simon peter and his exchange with jesus now is he going to fall at jesus's feet in thankfulness for a month's worth of business inventory and profit in a mere snap of the fingers Is his emphasis going to expand and show the great catch and how it was used to feed others? No. The narrative suddenly turns and enters into the depth of the soul that no camera can see, dives into the wrestling of a man confronted with the presence of the one he is in front of. Which brings us to scene three the moment of truth, Jesus revealing his glory. And awaken sinfulness. Verse 8 through 10. But when Simon Peter saw it, the miraculous catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, what was it? You have to ask yourself, what was it about this literal boatload of fish that caused Peter to see past the fish And only see his sinfulness and utter nakedness of soul. What was it about that encounter? And he responds. It wasn't a specific act of disobedience that Peter had in mind. It was the complete, whole, all-inclusive unworthiness of being in the presence of the God of the universe in front of him. This response, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, has A familiar ring to the original audience. And it's markedly similar to Job at the end of Job and how he responds when God opens the heavens and reveals his character and shows him who he is. As well as in a more familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne... High lifted up and the great and glorious creatures saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. May his glory fill the whole earth and the foundations of the threshold shook in the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now Isaiah rightfully responds, Woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why, for my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Now at that moment, Isaiah was terrified because God had shown up and revealed his glory. And the unmitigated glory of God is a terrifying reality. This same holy otherworldly sinless one is in the very boat that Peter is in. And he responds in the right way. Woe is me because in Jesus, God is revealing himself in his might and majesty to mankind and to Peter as well. How do you know? So you have to ask yourself, how do I know or how do you know that the true and living Jesus That you are worshiping the true and living Jesus and not just a culturally created image of the Jesus you want, the way you want Jesus to look. Well, one specific way is to that when you encounter Jesus and the living God, there is an overwhelming sense of your own sinfulness and His holiness and His greatness. The sovereign ruler of and king of the universe has come: the one who holds all things together, the one who created all things, the one who grants you the oxygen that you breathe, who places fish in the sea, in whom the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Now what Peter needs that day, Peter needs that day is not a fountain of overflowing fish which Jesus provided, but what he needs is a freed soul and a freed will to genuinely know who Jesus is and whose presence he is in, in Jesus. Verse 9, for he, Simon Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Who were partners with Simon. They all knew and were growing more and more convinced. That God himself was being revealed in the person and work of Jesus. Now Jesus did not provide the abundance of fish to make their life easier. But he did it to radically center their lives on knowing and following Jesus. That is why he provided the fish. Now we'll come back to these These other names that were mentioned in a few moments. But we're left with this climactic, tension-driven scene of what is going to happen to Simon Peter. Who tastes his own sinfulness to the core by beholding Jesus for who he is in his authority and power. So how does it continue? Verse Middle of verse 10. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Or in better words, stop being fearful. Jesus, in his compassion and kindness, comforts and commissions Peter. In his kindness and love, he comforts and commissions Peter. Peter is obviously awestruck with who it is in front of him. And Jesus does not incinerate him in the moment, but exhorts him to let his Fearful and be changed by his extravagant act of grace. Now, it's been said that this command, do not be afraid or stop being fearful, is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. Because it's usually always connected to the person and work of who God is. So, why should he stop being fearful? He's in the presence of the living God of the universe. But like Isaiah, it is in the very presence of God where true life is found. Where guilt and wretchedness of soul is taken away and sin is atoned for. In Jesus, there's forgiveness and atonement, which causes Peter to be fearful and awestruck. Namely, because Jesus is the very one who calms those fear and causes the soul rest. Now, we see that as we step back and see this paragraph in the big picture, overarching panoramic view of the book of Luke and Acts. We see with certainty the person and work of Jesus in the spread of the gospel to the nations. Now, Jesus doesn't stop with the exhortation. Stop being fearful. He continues, from now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. He addresses his fear by commissioning his future. Fear is swallowed up, not in the self-actualization of your best life now, or finding your identity in yourself at all, but in who it is that you are following we need to find our identity in the only place where there's rest and joy and for forgiveness of sin in the person and work of jesus the washing of your soul is found in in jesus the savior and in, in a day and age in a culture where independence is king you must humble yourself and see jesus for who he says he is and oh that we would be individually and corporately as a body Those who find our identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here, there is a surprising security of soul in your naked sinfulness at the feet of Jesus. Being in the presence of the one who saves and speaks, stop being fearful. And calls us to feast on him by following him. Again, there's a surprising security of soul being in your naked sinfulness at the feet of Jesus because he is the one who saves and speaks. Stop being fearful and calls us to feast upon him and follow him into the future. Now, this is a lifelong journey. This isn't just a question of your first day of salvation. This is Every day for the rest of your lives into eternity. It's a lifelong journey, a pursuit of knowing him. And following and cherishing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom in Christ Jesus. He it is who takes my sin, calls me to himself, and makes me part and you part of his global mission and his purpose. It's Jesus' words and commissioning to follow him that gives rest and peace. And Jesus, in this moment, he confronts our core and complete sinfulness. He calms our greatest concern, which is who we are in the very presence of God, and commissions us to renounce control and come after him. And maybe you're at a crossroads trying to figure out, Up from down. Maybe you're 12 years old wrestling through. Who are you in your classroom? Or maybe you're at a retired age. Or I pray a repurposed age. And you're trying to figure out who am I? Well these trials and these moments. Of where you are laid bare before Jesus. In your weakness, struggles and questions about personhood. Are for our good and And come into our lives not so our eyeballs will turn inward and we'll try to find those answers in and of ourselves. Because we know we don't have those answers. But to turn our gaze to Jesus and to worship him. When we surrender our hopes and dreams and humbly follow Jesus as a disciple, a learner, with unreserved attention to him, he comes through. And he enables that. Jesus would say to his disciples in the following days. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. As in Matthew 11. But he also bids us follow him. Take up their crosses and follow him. So life and death all connected in one. So what does this mean, Dustin? It means everything about everything. It means that the purpose and mission of your life is to follow Jesus and to make him known to others. Later on in Peter's journey, he'd write two epistles, First and Second Peter. And he wrote those to a group of persecuted Christians struggling through severe persecution. And what does he say to them? He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Well, to what end? For what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is our calling. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Which gets us to scene four. Following Jesus towards the world right side up. Verse 11. When they had brought their boats into land, they left everything and followed him. This is the beginning of a lifelong journey. Now, if if we were reading as this original audience would be, they wouldn't honestly stop right there. They would read the whole thing together. They would read Luke and Acts together. They would want to know the full storyline of what's here. And we see here that these fearful fishermen are freed. To follow Jesus forever. A call to following Jesus. Is a long hard journey. There's temptation to read this last verse. Tie a bow around it. Send it on its way. A nice little package. Like the majority of pop culture Christian movies. Beautiful scene. Problem solution. Guy gets girl. Beautiful wedding. They pray. After a little season of infertility. They get pregnant. Quarterback wins. The title. Etc. But you know what? We all know that that is just not how life works. That is not how life works. Life is hard. It's in the trenches. It's a war. And it's hard. And there's a lot of struggle. But think about the life of Peter, James, and John, who are specifically mentioned in this encounter. What did following Jesus look like? It looked like a lot of learning the hard way and growing to gaze upon Jesus. In a few chapters, Luke 9, we're going to see James and John ready to call fire down from heaven and incinerate a village. And Jesus rebukes them and shepherds them. But he also tells his disciples, I'm going to send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound like a pleasant scenario. Mountains and valleys, encouragements and exhortations, commendations and confrontations, Trust and trial, the life of following Jesus is all of those. Think about the life of Peter. Now, although the other Gospels highlights Peter's denial of Jesus, towards the end of Luke, we see a specificity of detail here that we don't see in the other ones. Peter denies Jesus three times, something we all probably have heard and know But it says at the end of that encounter, Jesus looks and locks eyes with Peter. Now Peter must have died a million deaths in that moment. He denies even knowing the very one who he has seen miracle after miracle of. Think about the complete depression of the soul that he must have gone through in seeing Jesus. So is that the end of the story? Is this the end of the story that they just follow him? Or is it at the end of the story that he denies him? No, it's not. That Praise the Lord, this isn't the end of the story for Peter. And maybe you're like Peter this afternoon. Maybe beholding Jesus and seeing your utter sinfulness and need and the wonder of God in flesh. And that's you. Or maybe you've just denied him and made a wreck of your allegiance to him. And like Peter, you denied him because of circumstantial fear and what it might mean for you. But like a riveting biography, this is not the last word. This is just the beginning. It's not the last word that we have of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and Simon and Peter. And like are any real and transparent life, there are successes and struggles. Regrets and riveting moments. But what did the end of the story look like for these disciples? Jesus gives his spirit to indwell them and to empower his disciples. James, as Luke records in the middle of Acts in chapter 12, it says that due to the violent hands laid on the church by Herod, James was killed by the authorization of Herod's orders. He died as a martyr. For the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and John are greatly used. Acts 3 and 4 show a spirit empowered. Bold witness of Jesus in his kingdom. Rule and reign and his reconciliation. And I wonder. As Peter prayed and proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus. With such boldness. Throughout the book of Acts. How often he thought back to that first moment on the boat where he is face down in front of Jesus, fish all around him. And he looks up to Jesus and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus responds to him. Stop fearing. Follow me. You're going to fish for men. I think he probably thought through that a lot because it was that life changing for him. And he said that to you, to stop fearing, to follow him. And he is going to use you to bring men and women into the kingdom. He said that to Peter and he says that to you. Let's pray. Lord, we are weak and needy and like Peter, we are sinful and needy. And we look up to you in your beauty and purity and holiness And say, we need you. We need your grace to wash us. And your mercy to cleanse us. And God, in your kindness and love and work, you do just that. And I pray that you would use this to strengthen us. Help us cling to you continually. And that we will just continue to follow you day in day out, making much of who you are and your kingdom until that day we see you face to face. We praise you and thank you for God, your power, your mercy, and that you call us to yourself and that you as will use us weak vessels to make known your kingdom. In this we pray. Amen.